taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews, hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? Welcome, everyone, and yes, this is Rich Take on Sports. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. We're here again and now with episode number 16. And before we move into the heart of episode 16 and the rich spotlight with Ryan Hawk, the creator and host of the Learning Leader Show podcast, I wanted to remind everyone, as I always do each episode, that staying connected with us is very easy. The one place where you can find everything is our website, richtakeonsports.com, and there you can listen to current and previous episodes, as well as subscribe through other platforms, whichever you prefer, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and also make sure to follow us on Twitter as well, at Rich Take Sports. You know, talking about leadership and learning for a moment, one of the things that I truly believe is one of the areas that we can learn leadership characteristics and qualities is through sports. And maybe a lot of times that's where we first are exposed to these type of traits. And the other thing that I believe is that we can improve our lives by having the mindset to always be learning. And that's why I'm excited about this episode, because I'm a consumer of our guest podcast, The Learning Leader Show, as I am continuously on this path of learning. So let's move right into the rich spotlight and hear from Ryan Hawk. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the rich spotlight. Our guest in episode 16 is Ryan Hawk. He's the creator and host of the Learning Leader Show, a top-rated business podcast and Apple podcast that focuses on learning from the smartest, most creative leaders in the world, including such luminaries as Simon Sinek, Seth Godin, Kate Cole, Adam Grant, and many others. He started the Learning Leader Show in 2014 and now has over 200 episodes with listeners in 134 countries worldwide. Forbes has called the Learning Leader Show the most dynamic leadership podcast out there. And Inc. Magazine listed the Learning Leader Show as one of the top five podcasts to help you lead smarter. Ryan also writes for the Huffington Post on the topics of leading and empowering others. In addition, he's won multiple awards in his selling career and is now an executive in a leadership role. And prior to his business pursuits, Ryan was a decorated college football quarterback at Miami University and Ohio University. He also spent time in the Arena Football League with the Birmingham Steel Dogs, now known as the Alabama Steel Dogs. And he also spent time with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the Canadian Football League. He's a dedicated husband, father of five daughters, and he'll also contend that as an older brother, he helped prepare his younger brother, A.J. Hawk, for his 11-year NFL career as a linebacker, most notably with the Green Bay Packers. Now, his two brothers had a huge impact in his life from a sports perspective and helping drive his competitiveness. And one of the first things that I ask, Ryan, is why sports became such a big part of his life. Something that... Uh from a sports perspective, we, my, uh, 
my brothers and I just started playing at a very young age. We we were attracted to it. We loved it. Love the um, the dynamics of competition. I would say mo- first and foremost. That's why we played all the sports. Uh, did not focus on any one in specific uh, manner. Just for the fact that if you're practicing, you're not really competing uh, as much as if you're playing in games. So that's why I did football, baseball, basketball, swimming, ping pong, tennis, golf. I mean, you name it, we, we played it. And that was uh, specifically because we love the, the, the thought of being able to uh, work, prepare, play, compete, and, and, and win or lose ultimately because you, you can learn so much from winning and losing. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it later. But, yeah, the, those moments of adversity that have came about because of tough moments in games – have absolutely helped me when it comes to tough moments in life and, and business, for sure. Now, early on, you'd mentioned all of these sports that you were playing. Was football the one that you gravitated towards most? No, I would. I played. Uh, we didn't have. I, I say I didn't have a favorite sport uh, growing up. We. I loved all of them. I loved playing all sports. Uh, I was more undersized. So football, if you were to look at me as when I was younger, football probably wouldn't have been the one that you would have thought I would have went on to play in college and a little bit after college, um, maybe baseball or even basketball. Um, but as I got a, a little bit older, uh, as I got in the weight room and progressed, I had I seemed to have the most success with football. And that, and, and that created, I think, some passion more love for the game that success got it out of me and it created an even bigger work ethic which that's that's how it become the sport or it became the sport that I, I went on to play when I went to college and in my post collegiate career as well and then gravitating towards the quarterback position now how did that come about I don't know I I, I guess because probably the coach put me in that position because I could um, throw the ball uh, relatively well I was probably one of the better athletes on the team not the best necessarily but one of the better athletes and so typically when you're in second and third grade the coach will put the the, the better athletes uh, at that position try them out at quarterback and uh, and and also because I could throw it a little bit and I was a baseball pitcher. Uh, as well. So I'm guessing that had something to do with it. And then once, once I got the bug though, and I started playing, I, I, I loved it. I, I love the fact that it's the, it's the most valuable position in all of sports. You have the most impact on the game in any sport, uh, maybe a baseball pitcher, but they don't pitch every day. A quarterback plays every game. Um, and so if you have a, if a football team has a great quarterback, they have a, a really great chance of winning. And, and the inverse is also true. If you have, if you don't have a good quarterback, it's very tough to, to sustain excellence uh, as a winning team. And so I, I loved that responsibility of playing the position. And now you have two brothers and how important were they in your development as an athlete and from the competition side? Everything. Um, they were everything. The, looking up to one and looking and, and my, I'm, in, I'm in the middle. So, uh, you know, l- my older brother was much bigger than me and it was very difficult to from a, uh, I guess, uh, physical standpoint. I couldn't I couldn't compare. I uh, could never beat him up or anything like that. I still can't. Uh, and my younger brother was probably a, a, just he's just an overall better athlete than me. Uh, with everything that he does, although there are certain sports where I may may still beat him, uh, depending on what it is. But uh, uh, and of course, my younger brother AJ went on to to play in the NFL for eleven years. So yeah. um, it, it, I would say that daily competition. We we lived budding up to a park growing up, and 
there's tennis courts back there and tennis wasn't really one of our sports, but it was still another opportunity to compete. And so AJ and I would, after football practice or after working out, we would run back to the park and we would play daily games of tennis just from competitive, um, standpoint. I think we both actually became pretty good at the game from those, those, those moments competing, but that, that competition helped me as I progressed in life and in sports, the fact that we we were both trying to win on a daily basis, and there wasn't like knockdown drag out fights, but it was just the simple fact of the the uh, importance of of playing and trying to beat somebody else is I think healthy for kids to go through. I would agree with you on that. Now in high school, you you started getting noticed from colleges. How was that recruiting process for you, and how you ultimately decided on Miami of Ohio? So I, you know, again, I think um, some of the work ethic that I was able to, that was kind of drilled into me from my coaches, I had incredible coaches that, that they are one of the main reasons for any type of success. Um, but they helped develop and cultivate a, a work ethic, which uh, fortunately gave me the opportunity to start on my high school team as a freshman. And we, it was, a, I went to a big high school, Centerville High School, Division One, which is the big school district or big, biggest, biggest schools, um, in Ohio, uh, playing against the best teams uh, across the state, and so I was I was fortunate to have the opportunity to start. And once I did that, I I played pretty well um, as a freshman on our varsity team, and from there just kind of took off. And it, again, that success that it, it fueled more passion for me to work to improve. And so I started getting recruited as a sophomore and as a junior. And then you get all the, the scholarship offers and you have to make a, a, a tough decision as to where you want to go to school. And ultimately, I chose Miami uh, coming out of high school because, one, I really love their coaches. I love the campus. I love the academics. I love the school, love the offense. I love the uh, the chance it would give me to play in the NFL uh, as a quarterback based on what they were going to do offensively. And so I, I, I chose to go there. And uh, obviously I, I didn't fully understand how good some of my competition would be once I got there. And I happened to be in the same recruiting class, play the same position as Ben Roethlisberger. So yes, Ben and I came in together and, and competed and battled hard for two years. And ultimately he ended up obviously winning that job. He's gone on to become the greatest athlete in the history of the school and then, um, and a, you know, two time Super Bowl winner, uh, MVP. So, um, it was an interesting college experience, uh, having to, to make a, a tough choice after being, uh, a quarterback for two seasons to say, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to change positions? Am I going to be a backup or am I going to ultimately transfer? And, and to me, I just did not want to leave my destiny or my future up to the health of, of somebody else. Uh, meaning if I was a backup quarterback and I, and I wanted to play quarterback, as I told you before, I love, I love the, uh, responsibility that comes along with being the quarterback. And so I elected to transfer and I finished my career playing at, uh, Ohio university. Walk us through just that process of coming to the decision to transfer. I mean, did you struggle with that decision? Yeah, it was awful. I, I mean, I, I moved to Oxford, Ohio, uh, the campus of Miami University, the day after I graduated high school. I was the only freshman to move there. My, the reason behind that was that I wanted to prove to my new teammates that I cared about them. Uh, I wanted to earn the starting quarterback job. I wanted to, to. I had a goal to learn all of their names by the time um, uh, camp started in August, when all of the rest of the freshmen would get there. And so, I, I worked out with them every single day. I, I lived in a terrible little college house that was a, a mess. 
uh, went to all the workouts and learned all their names, did everything I could. And it was a great lesson though. I think to learn during your formative years, as you're growing and developing, maturing as a person and as a leader is the fact that sometimes you can do pretty much everything within your power, um, and realize that it's still not enough. Uh, there are, there are certain people out there that, um, are, <laughs> for whatever reason are, are going to be better than you, uh, at what you do. Uh, and Ben is just simply a better quarterback than me. And it took me a couple years to fully come to grips with that, but mm-hmm. it was a good lesson, uh, for me to, to develop some of that, adversity some of that failure earlier on in my life that i've it's it's helped fuel me as i think as i've progressed both in the world of football uh, when i went to ohio university i had to compete to win that job and be voted captain and all those things to then post collegiate years in business and the profession of selling and all the tough things that you go through in in some of these uh the jobs that i've had so uh, I, i i point back to that i think about it i remember those moments quite well and i draw from it so you finish up your playing days at Ohio and start a career into sales, but how did it happen that you get pulled back into football with the Arena Football League? <clears throat> well, the coach of the Birmingham Steel Dogs in the Arena 2 Football League uh, reached out to me. Uh, he was friends with Chris Spielman, and I got to know Chris Spielman. Uh, he's a linebacker from Ohio State, great pro career, and so Chris referred me to him. He called me out of the blue and asked me if I wanted to come down and uh, compete to be their starting quarterback in Birmingham. And I was working in a sales role at the time, uh, but still obviously working out every day, throwing quite a bit, uh, staying ready just in case. And so I elected to, to do it. I, I moved down there. Uh, this is a pretty interesting experience since the bulk of the team was made up of guys from uh, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Louisiana, Florida, um, people who played in the SEC, uh, guys like that. Nobody was really from, as they would say, the North, and uh, and so it was a great for me to be to be thrust into that culture to say, okay, how can I lead these guys? They don't really um, they everyone looks at me like I'm kind of different from them, and it was a great challenge for me to earn their trust again, to earn their vote as a team captain, to earn a starting position, and then to go out and win ball games as the quarterback, and especially in the arena league where you basically throw every play. So uh, I loved it. It was a, it was a great experience. Um, again, great things I think happen when you leap outside of your comfort zone. And I certainly was outside of my comfort zone, uh, during that time. I remember I called my parents right after I moved down there and thought, man, I don't know. I don't know if I, if this is for me. I don't know if I should stay here. And I'm, I'm really glad that I did because it was, it was a great experience to, to go through some of those adverse moments that have, that have helped me in my life. Now, at that time, were you continuing to work in sales or was this a full-time gig going into the arena? No. No, no. I, okay. I, I said, if I'm doing this, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm, I mean, Kurt Warner had, had made it from the arena leagues at the time. And I think every, all of us quarterbacks who were in that league th- thought, well, we, we're going to be the next Kurt Warner. We, we had the chance if we can make plays and we could be seen, we could get, a, get, a, get an opportunity to get into an NFL camp. And um, and so I, I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be a hundred percent in. And so I was a hundred percent in when I decided to go to Birmingham. Okay. And now were there NFL opportunities that you thought were going to happen and you tried out and didn't make it? Yeah. So I had a workout afterwards in Buffalo, uh, the New York jets and Tennessee. 
never got picked up. But, uh, I mean, yeah, there are opportunities. And, and NFL teams bring in guys every Tuesday. I mean, guys who play in the league know there's a number of guys who are brought in every week. They take a look at, they see how you do. And every once in a while, somebody gets signed. So what was that process like? And was there a, a, a one particular day that you said, okay, the football playing days are over. I need to move on and hang up my cleats. Uh, I don't know if there's one exact day. I think at some point you realize um, – I saw other guys who were who had played in the arena league for like eight years. They, they would get a job in the city they played in. Some of them might have even gotten married and decided that, okay, I'm going to stay here and work and I'm going to play football and – for me, uh, I, I didn't. That wasn't really an option. I didn't. I didn't think about doing that. I thought I'm either going to go all in on football or not. And eventually, it, it just got to the point where I really enjoyed it. Uh, but I, I saw like I'm probably not going to play in the NFL. I had. I actually went up to the CFL, the Canadian League, for a little bit. I had another opportunity to go back to the CFL. I just didn't really want to do it anymore. And so I think at some point you realize this was fun and football gave me an incredible. Uh, experience in life and I'm super grateful for it but at some point you're ready to to move on and it, it wasn't just a, a, a specific day or a moment it was probably the winding down of, of a football season to say okay I, I feel good about the fact that I I came out here I gave it a shot I got a few workouts I went up to Canada I've I bounced around the North America here I think I'm I think it's 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 okay to now to move on and, and that's uh, what I elected to do and then now you move back into a, a sales role but was there a period of time where you struggled with your identity because you were always a football player and then now you're not and I've talked with other athletes and that's one thing that they have mentioned is that their identity identity is has changed and that can be a struggle at times did you go through the same type of process yeah it actually hit me when i uh, after my last college game i wasn't certain if i was going to get a, an opportunity to keep playing and and also you have that camaraderie from your teammates uh, it was very emotional it was really hard at that time after my last collegiate game to think am i Am I gonna am I gonna play football anymore? That's all I've done since the second grade, and uh, I would say it hit me pretty hard. Um, you struggle with that. I think you even still have moments. I don't, I don't have it anymore, but but probably for years that there were there were times where I thought, man, this is really tough. The fact that I don't get to play anymore, and this is all I've ever done. This is all people really have known me for. So you you progress to. I think move away from that. And the profession of selling helped me because it was still very competitive. There was a, a bright scoreboard that was shown every day. It gave me a chance to win, uh, gave me a chance to, to get on the bright lights and the stage of what we'd call our circle of excellence team or circle of excellence group if you were the best of the best. And so while it wasn't exactly the same, there was some similarity to where I think it helped me make that transition a little bit better that if I could, instead of Instead of uh, using my athletic ability and my work ethic when it comes to, to scoring touchdowns and throwing passes, I could do that with my brain and what I could say as a sales professional. And, and, I, and I think I made that transition um, pretty well to where I grew to, to love it again because I think your passion follows you. Um, you, Mark, Mark Cuban talks about that a lot, that it's like don't, don't necessarily follow your passion, that if you go and 
do something and, and find out that you can develop some skill and you become pretty good at it, you'll notice that you beca- you can become pretty passionate about it. And I think that's what's happened for me. And then so walk us through your professional career in sales and you know how you climb the ladder. Well, I, I probably like a lot of people who get into sales uh, where it, it you realize that you can make a difference. You can differentiate yourself or separate yourself from the pack by by how um, hard you're willing to work, how how prepared you can become, how many flat out phone calls, emails, uh, opportunities you create, uh, learning, reading, uh, becoming a better sales professional, understanding what to do, what to say, how to do it, when to do it. Um, I became ritualized in my calendaring and my prospecting and all of that. And and I noticed that I, I became pretty good through repetition, which was very similar to my football career. I became better as a passer because I practiced a lot. I became stronger because I lifted weights every day. I, I think those same things applied to the profession of selling. And that's why selling is beautiful because at the beginning of the year, we all start at the same in the same starting line. And, and the company or wherever you work puts a puts a, a line out in front of you that's that 100% line. Then maybe there's another line after that, that that's the President's Club or the Circle of Excellence line. And they say, hey, we're going to let you go. And you, you sprint as fast as you can to try to get through those lines. And I love that about sales and, and how it's helped me. And I've also used that same mentality about my podcast. And so the Learning Leader Show. So when you Think of it in that regard. You a lot of that translates. That's why I think athletes do so well in the profession of selling. That's why people in the military do so well in these professions because they're disciplined, they're consistent, they're workers. They understand the value of putting in the time and the work and and being consistent with their work every day. Now you mentioned your podcast, which I am, uh, as I mentioned, also a, a big fan. The Learning Leader Show. How did that come about? So I. Um, had this dinner with a guy named Todd Wagner, who is Mark Cuban's business partner, uh, still is and was when they created broadcast.com. And God, it's about three or four years ago now. And um, Todd really walked me through how they started the business, how they grew it, and then how they were sitting face to face with the uh, leaders of Yahoo. And this is when Yahoo was like Google. And they were uh, talking about it. And Todd said, listen, you're either going to buy us or you're going to compete with us. What do you want to do? And so they they offered them $5.7 billion and made him and Mark both billionaires. And so Todd went on to, he's, he leads more of a philanthropic life now. And Mark, uh, most people know, you know, Shark Tank and, mm-hmm. uh, Dallas Mavericks. And so I, um, I love the talk so much and I was fascinated by what he said, but my, the one regret I had was the fact that I didn't have it recorded and I wanted to go back and listen. Um, and at the same time, I was listening to Joe Rogan and other podcasts, uh, other other people out there who were who were doing podcasts at the time, Bill Simmons and Tim Ferriss. And so I, I thought, well, I you know I have a history. I I progressed in my career to be a sales manager, where I was interviewing lots and lots of candidates uh, to be in selling roles all the time. We were constantly growing. I was in a you know really good company and. So I had an experience with interviewing. I had a love for podcasts. I, did, I developed and matured to have this inquisitive nature uh, to, to be someone who, who loved the art and science of interviewing. I've always studied interviewers for some reason, whether it's Anderson Cooper or Howard Stern or Charlie Rose or, or anybody on TV. I'd study them and be fascinated by the questions that they ask and how they ask them and why they ask them and their follow-up questions, all of that. So I thought, what if I – 
I try to develop some of that skill that I've developed over the interviews and, and use some of my curiosity to get stories like the one I heard from Todd Wagner, record them so that um, I could go back and coach and listen. Because when you play sports, you can play football, especially we record every single rep of every single practice and every game. So I'm used to going back and watching myself and getting and self-correcting and coaching. So I thought the podcast does that for me as well. I'll be, I'll probably become a better communicator. I could be, probably become a better public speaker. I'll probably learn a lot and maybe I'd have the chance to positively impact other people if I published that for all to listen to. And so that's why I started about three years ago. Now we're 210, 12, 212 or so plus episodes in. And it's it's been, I mean, the coolest thing I've probably ever done. I'm most proud of it. Um, it it's incredible the opportunities, the doors that's opened because of that, of, of, of scratching that itch, of, of following uh, my curiosity. Um, I, I absolutely love it, man. It's my favorite thing to do. I can understand that. And you've been very successful. And I know on your 100th episode, you talked about, you know, the things that you've learned over the first hundred episodes. Now that you're over 200, have you learned more or has it changed the things that you've learned and progressed since then? The one thing I will tell, I just had a lunch with a mentor today and I told him this, the, 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 the cool aspect of having a podcast and Richard, I think, you know, you'll probably, if you haven't already figured this out, is the fact that I tell people like today is the worst I'm ever going to be moving forward. And what I mean by that is I'm always going to be on this path to learning more. And I think that's a that's a neat feeling for me to know that I'm, I'm I have, you know, I have the next six interviews already scheduled with some of my literal um, heroes, my literary heroes. I mean, Jim Collins wrote Good to Great and I read it and Great by Choice. And I thought there's no way I'll ever get a chance to talk to this guy. It cost $100,000 for an hour speech for Jim Collins. And I'm recording with him and preparing for that. And just these these people that you would have never imagined talking to them. And the fact that I get to do that, I know I'm only going to get better and better and better and better. And I love that aspect of it because I'm always looking and asking of those people uh, what are some of the common themes amongst those who have sustained excellence? I'm not looking to uh, the people who have just been a flash in the pan, but the ones who have done it over an extended period of time. And if I keep learning from all those types and then I, it slowly gets implemented into my daily life that hopefully I'm able to, to positively impact other people uh, more and more as we go. That's great stuff. And so what what are some of the skills that you've been able to apply, you know, into your sales and your podcasting career that you learned through sports? Well, so I, I have never been on the team where I was the most athletically gifted player uh, ever. And so to me, I always had a, um, a little bit of a productive paranoia, as Jim Collins would say, a little fear leading up to, to competition, to games. And for me, the greatest medicine for that fear is preparation. So I've always been a big prep guy, whether I'm preparing for a podcast, preparing for a sales call, preparing for a presentation, preparing for a football game. I had to watch a ton of film. I had to get every rep in practice to get extra reps in practice to lift extra weights leading up to that game or leading up to that season. So for me, I'm a, a huge preparation guy. And I learned early, especially probably my freshman year in high school, all of those reps I got in practice made the games much easier. 
And so I, I try to make the practices harder than the games and the game of life and podcasting and selling. So if you're harder on yourself and practice, you got a better chance of being successful when the lights come on. So whether, whether it's a, an interview, uh, a presentation, uh, a meeting with a boss or a customer, uh, if you've prepared like crazy, like I did when I played football, I'm much better off. Likewise, there have been times when I maybe haven't prepared for whatever reason, and I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not skillful enough to be great if I haven't prepared. Some people are, but for me and probably for most people, you've got to prep if you want to be really great. Now, speaking of those times where you might have not prepared, was it ever palpable feeling you know, in a game or in presentations where you knew that I, I'm in trouble, I'm, I'm scared here because I'm not prepared? Yeah, for example, like it, let's say you got to give, give a big speech. I think you should get a little jitters before you go on in front of a thousand people to give a talk, especially if they're paying you good sums of money you want to deliver, you want to over deliver. But I've had times where, uh, and I, 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 I've learned from those early on in probably the speaking aspect of my career to where I thought, well, I, I think I know it enough and practicing by yourself in, a, in front of a mirror is weird. I don't know. People <laughs> tell me I should do it, but I think I'll be good enough. And then you go, but then you're unbelievably nervous when you get up there and maybe you even forget part of your message because you didn't prep enough. And so now for me, no matter what happens when I go out to give a speech, even if I give in the same speech a hundred times, I'm going to, I'm going to say the entire talk. I'm going to go through all of it in my hotel room leading up to it or at my house or in front of my wife or whatever it may be that, that prep for a speech is mandatory as a part of my game now. Uh, even though, uh, maybe earlier in my career, uh, it wasn't. And that's, that's where hubris can, can, uh, be dangerous. Yes. Uh, and so if now it's like, let's, let's approach it with productive paranoia and, and get prepared for every single moment that you're going to present. One of your other themes is that leaders are learners, and I truly believe that as well. And now that you're over 200 episodes into this and have talked to some of the most well-respected leaders, what's some of the common themes that you've learned from these people to be leaders? Well, I think uh, humility is is something that is absolutely part of, of their lives. The fact that they are realize they're climbing the mountain and they're not on the top of the mountain. They don't have it figured out because I've also spoken with, unfortunately, many poor leaders. And I kept a notebook from the beginning of my career about some of the attributes of poor leadership. And, and those ones seem to think they have it all figured out. They don't need to read a book or listen to a podcast or watch a TED Talk or they can't learn from the people they work with. They have all the answers. So I think the great ones have a, have a humility uh, about them. Uh, one, in, in, in addition, they're, they're serving. They're, they flip that, that organizational chart upside down and they point themselves at their people saying, I – serve, help, and support them. It's about taking care of them. It's about serving them. Um, it's about caring uh, about them and not just saying, you know, what's your forecast or whatever it may be like a lot of bad leaders or managers do. Um, also, they're very curious um, about the world. They're asking quality questions. They're thoughtful. They, they uh, are inquisitive about the world. That That's what I found um, seems to be very common amongst the best of the best. And then I think it, with, it goes without saying that they have incredible work ethics and have created rituals, uh, daily, daily re- routines. Maybe they wake up early and they write, they read, they work out. Uh, I found that they have a, a, a common practice 
uh, of, of routines as well as those other great attributes. So now what's on the horizon for the Learning Leader Show? Well, I'm going to continue uh, trying to get better. And I hope if, if people have listened along the way that they can sense that uh, you listen to episode one, you listen to 100 and you listen to 150 and 200 that you'd say, wow, it sounds like I thought it was good early, but it, it's even better now. And I hope that that continues to happen. I think consistently doing it, um, learning for myself, uh, asking for coaching, asking for help from people that I trust and respect. I, I continue to do that. That has led to a number of great speaking opportunities that I never would have envisioned before. I'm going to continue to do even more of those. So I love the podcasting. I love the interactions, the conversations, the relationships I've built with my guests. And then the speaking that comes from that is something that is a challenge. It's outside of my comfort zone, but I've developed a, 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 a fun times to go out and do that from time to time. And, and I, I plan to continue to do that. Well, I know there's a lot of listeners that are excited that you are putting a lot of energy into it and that you will continue that. Now, as we wrap up here, Ryan, can you sum up what sports has meant to you in your life? Sports created the foundation for my work ethic and preparation for everything that I do. So I can't even, I, 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 you know, Rich, I can't fathom what would have happened without playing sports. I really can't. The daily competition, the back and forth with my brothers, uh, the camaraderie of a team. I mean, just about anywhere you're going to work, you're going to have to uh, probably work in some sort of team environment. And being, uh, especially in college, playing with a diverse group of people and an arena football league doing the same thing, that has helped me so much that I realized a lot of people didn't get to do. So I'm so fortunate and grateful for the fact that I've I've had the the opportunity to play sports and then and and certainly in high school and college play play football, which I think is the ultimate team game. As the quarterback, you're one of eleven guys, and you've got to look in their eyes and call the play before uh, in the huddle before every play, and uh, they're going to look to you uh, to see if you're confident in that call, to see what you think, what you believe, and 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 the responsibility is going to be on you to get the snap and to make the right decision. And so I love that aspect of leadership, of selling, of all aspects of management when it comes to the fact that that that, that foundation was built upon sports. Also, speaking of things that we can lean on, what I always ask each guest is some words of wisdom that you can share. And you've, you've shared a lot already, but do you have any particular words of wisdom, you know, a phrase or a quote that has meant a lot to you that you'd like to share? Oh, there's a lot of quotes. Um, actually, probably a couple. So my, my dad's been a huge inspiration for me in my life. And I would say um, he, he's always told us that to, to never get too high or too low based on what people say about you. Stay, stay measured, stay even keeled because people are going to praise you at times and people are going to hate on you at times. If you decide to do anything in your life, it could create people to talk. And if, if you let them impact you too much and get too big of a head or get too down because whether they're, they're, they're pumping you up or they're beating you down, then you're going to struggle. And so I would say uh, don't, don't get too high or too low based on the words of, of other people. I heard that earlier in my career, and I live by that daily, uh, Ryan. So that, 
those words resonate with me uh, a lot. So thank you for sharing that. I greatly appreciate it. And ultimately, Ryan, thank you for sharing just your journey and the impact of sports in your life and your time with us today. I greatly appreciate it. And I definitely look forward to more episodes of the Learning Leader Show and uh, best of luck with that. Absolutely. I appreciate uh, you having me, Rich. Now, if you're like me and you're in the pursuit of excellence and have a passion for this continuation for learning, then Ryan's podcast, The Learning Leader Show, is a must listen and something you should definitely subscribe to. And one of the things that I really enjoyed learning from Ryan and hearing him talk about is he's not interested in hearing from and learning from individuals who don't have sustained excellence. It's not about these one-hit wonders, and then they disappear only to be seen again on some TV show called Where Are They Now? No, these are people with sustained excellence, and no doubt Ryan is not only talking that talk, but also walking that walk. With over 200 podcast episodes, you just don't do that without sustained excellence. And as he's mentioned, he's still preparing and practicing to get better every single time. So for everyone, make sure you invest some of your time to listen to The Learning Leader Show. You can find more information about Ryan and his podcast at learningleader.com as well as ryanhawk.net where you can subscribe through Apple Podcast. Also, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at RyanHawk12. Well, that's another episode in the books, everyone. And I'm also trying to emulate that sustained excellence that Ryan refers to so often. So be on the lookout for more upcoming episodes and focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.